Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there, welcome to the show, the 1% Better Show or Podcast. And this is episode four of season two. Thanks for checking it out. So just a whirlwind update since uh, last week's episode. We've gone through Easter, survived that, got back into the swing of things with work. And now it's the weekend again, and I'm delighted to be releasing a new episode. Last week's one with Emma O'Toole brought in a huge new listenership from the type 1 diabetic community, which was great. Good to have folks from that world on board. Took a lot from Emma's story. Also from Emma's World of Yoga, thanks for checking it out, giving feedback. Hopefully you enjoyed it and hopefully you hang around for some more episodes. And again, thanks to Emma for being such a great guest. I just wanted to remind folks about a new show that will be spinning off in the next number of weeks. It's called 864. I'm not going to give you much more details than that. I've recorded a bunch of episodes for it already. It's a shorter show. I'm going to try and get a good few more done before then. But it is still all about 1% better themes and tips. And hopefully one that will uh, be consumable in a shorter period of time for you. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. Looking forward to doing it, getting it out there and hearing from you if you like it or not. In the last week as well, I've got a few new guests lined up. People have reached out to connect me with possibly new and interesting stories. One is uh, with a current Irish international footballer. Another is a media powerhouse and dragon. And uh, there's a few others in the works as well. So it's all good. Love when that happens. Love to get connected with new people. And please keep it coming. I did mention last week about the idea of doing a phone-in show with a previous guest, Healthy Star. So if anyone's still thinking about putting their name forward for doing that, drop me an email. I'll gather those and still have no definite date or exactly when it'll happen, but I will try to make it happen over the next few weeks, so please get in touch. And getting in touch is always great. Please keep the communications coming this way. I'll keep it going that way, and hopefully I will learn and continue to grow and develop based on what you're sending me feedback about. So one more little experiment. Just when I finish this sentence, if you could hit pause, that would be great. But what that's about, if you're listening to this on itunes it'd be great to just take a few seconds out to give the show a rating or a review this season already i've had more listeners than in numbers than than last season in the first few episodes which is really good it's a good sign i'd love to try and ratchet it up the rankings a little bit more so that's down to ratings and reviews on itunes and subscribing so subscribing is the key one if you haven't subscribed i'd love you to do so leave a rating leave a comment if you like it please do if not don't bother totally up to yourself but maybe hit pause for five seconds and just go in and do that now i would appreciate it okay on to this week's show this one was one i recorded again in late january and it is with josh quigley so josh is from edinburgh a scottish guy and he came to my attention and maybe yours potentially a few years ago when he branded himself the Tartan Explorer and set up a challenge or an adventure to cycle around the world 50,000 miles on a bike to raise awareness for mental health and depression. So maybe that's ringing a bell with you. I've recently seen him on LinkedIn posting new videos around work he did on the Camino Walk and I connected in with him. And I wanted to hear his story because as I said it's about mental health and depression the work he's been doing so in 2015 josh attempted to take his own life he hit a concrete barrier driving a car at 80 miles an hour his plan was to end his life 
but somehow survived. He actually walked away from the crash. He was in hospital for a couple of days afterwards getting checked over, but he walked away that night. And he talks about this on the show. When he was telling me it, what came to me was the idea of the movie Unbreakable with Bruce Willis. If you've seen it, you'll know he was on a train and there was a, spoiler alert here, a crash and uh, he was the only one to survive. Now, this is obviously a different story and this is reality, but... The way Josh describes it and the way he walked away from this seems like there was something, a higher power looking after him based on the sequence of events that led up to it. He goes into lots of detail of what led up to that and the new lease of life that he got thereafter. And his journey has been ongoing and continues to be ongoing. I talked with him just before I released the podcast and his next steps are different than what he had hoped things would work out a couple of months ago but he's constantly trying new things he's constantly trying to figure things out he's a force of nature he really wants to help others and he seems happiest when he's on his own journey physically and mentally at the end of the show josh gives you some links to connect with him and he's also on all the socials which i'll have all that in the show notes so look i'll leave it there i hope you really enjoy this one with josh i know i did and I look forward to hearing from you again in the near future. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the episode. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for agreeing to do it. Hello. Thanks for having me. No, it's great to have you on the show, Josh. So, Josh, I've been following you on LinkedIn for for the last while. I remember seeing you popping up, and it triggered a memory. I did some research. I was able to connect it. A couple of years ago, you came to national, even international prominence with your idea to cycle around the globe for for mental health or to address and bring up awareness around depression. That was a huge undertaking. I'd love to hear your story about what brought you to do that. So on the 2nd of November 2015, I made a video that which I shared on Facebook, which was basically me telling the world that I survived the suicide attempt. And that video went viral, was seen maybe about 100,000 100, times online. That then led to me being interviewed on the BBC, STV, all the main newspapers in Scotland. And yeah, life's been on a very, very crazy since then. Can you talk to me a little bit about the days maybe in the weeks leading up to the the suicide attempt what was going through your mind how did you get to that place i'd love to hear that story well i can on that night it was the 26th of may 2015 i can actually remember the whole night and the days leading up to that i can't remember any of that so at this period i was suffering quite intensely with what we probably all know as depression and for anybody who's not had depression, you'll probably never understand it. And to everybody who has experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I don't like spending any time on that because we all know what it is or we don't know what it is. And you'll probably never understand. But anyway, I was suffering quite intensely with depression. Was feeling very suicidal for a period of about six months. This was the beginning of 2015, between January and May that year. And as I said, feeling suicidal a lot was what? just always had this idea I want to end my life I want to end my life but to be honest just never really had the what I would call the courage to go through with it because I was quite scared actually of the perceived pain of ending my own life I've always said that if I had a way of doing it pain-free there's not a chance I would be alive in this 
day. There's not a chance of that. But then one night on the 26th of May 2015, I woke up. It was about one in the morning. And at this period of time, sleeping was like my biggest escape. I would sleep at any opportunity I got, which meant some, most, some days I was sleeping during the day. I'd be sleeping at night. And then what would happen is you'd be up most of the night because you're sleeping during the day. And woke up about one in the morning. I'd been asleep since about 5 p.m. the previous night. And I just knew it was going to be another one of those nights, tossing and turning, my mind going crazy, up the whole night. And then at seven in the morning, I'd have to try and get up and find the strength to go out into the world and do what I was doing for a living at the time. And I just thought, fuck this. There is no way I'm doing it. It's just, I can't do this anymore. That was, that was the thought. And I would describe in that moment what happened was that the, the pain I was in became greater than the perceived pain of suicide. And I was pushed over the breaking point where the thought of actually ending my life seemed less painful than being alive. And I'd had this idea for a few months that I was going to, that I could have crashed my car at high speed into a concrete barrier. And that would have been the way I ended my life. So I jumped out of my bed that night. I got dressed, ran downstairs, grabbed the car keys, went out, jumped into the car. And it wasn't one of those drives where you just go to clear your head. I had a very clear intention where I was going, what I was going to do. That was the night I was going to end my life. I'd gone to the motorway near my home. This was about two in the morning. Uh, so the roads were empty. There was nobody else there except me driving along the motorway road. And so I had about 10 minutes and I knew it was like, as this felt like at the time, these are the final 10 minutes of my life. Uh, I knew that at the end of the road, where the junction is, to turn off. I was instead, instead of taking the junction or continuing straight, I was going to kind of go down the middle and just hit the concrete barrier as fast as I could. Uh, those 10 minutes went past like 10 seconds. Before you know it, I'm there. I have a decision to make. Do I take the junction and just go home? Do I keep going on the road? Or do I actually just kind of go straight on into the barrier? And it feels a little bit surreal talking about that now, given how much I love life. But in that moment, there was absolutely no hesitation. There was no fear. It was... I was just ready to end my life. I was so ready. I was just, and it was actually quite scary, actually, thinking about it now, because in those kind of final five seconds of what I thought was the final five seconds of my life, it was almost like there was a kind of sense of like a weird sort of bliss, kind of contentment that was like, this is the last time I'm ever going to have to feel like this. So the car's at about 80 miles an hour now. I continue on and I hit the barrier. And the weirdest bit that still I just don't get is in that moment, I wasn't even knocked out. So I've hit the barrier at 80 miles an hour. The cars came to a complete stop. The car's an absolute mess. But inside the car, I'm absolutely fine. Like, there is not a scratch on my body. There's no cuts. There's no bruises. I'm literally in perfect physical condition. I've, I've not, I'm, I'm literally coming away from that crash with no physical injuries. It was kind of, kind of surreal for a couple minutes, but there was maybe about 10 seconds as soon as it happened where the car just started filling, filling with this white smoke. I think it's from the airbag. There was a, a loud ringing noise. And it had, I had five or ten seconds where I wasn't sure if I was dead or alive. And I think we've all seen the movies of what happens when you die and the stairs come down, you go up to heaven. And it was almost it was like a very surreal moment in the sense where I wasn't sure if I was dead or alive because I, didn't, I wasn't in any pain. I was like, how can this be possible not to be dead? How can I not be in pain but still be alive? I remember touching my hands, I touched my face, I looked in the mirror and I realised that 
I'd actually just came away from this full, whole thing fully unscathed. And then I got out of the car and just lay down in the concrete because I wasn't sure. Like I was, I was a little bit, I was a little bit dazed. And then, then the ambulance came and took me to the hospital. And then the following day, I woke up in hospital, and it, all the tests came back. There was literally nothing wrong with me at all, physically anyway. Mentally, I was in a lot of pain, but there was no physical injuries to me. And I remember that day just thinking, like at first when I woke up, I was I was majorly disappointed because I wanted. I wanted to be at the time. I thought I wanted to be dead, and I was and I was still alive. But then, and I knew all my every, all my family were going to find out what had happened because I I told the ambulance and the police on the scene that that it was intentional. I was I was very very honest about that. It was, it was an intention, intentional crash. But then, I remember in the hospital, a few hours went past, and I was just sitting thinking about it. And I thought, wait a minute, like what's actually happened here? And I got up out of my bed, completely able-bodied. I walked along to the little chapel in the hospital. Never been religious, never been spiritual at this point. And I just sat in the little chapel that night and I just thought, wow, like, something special has happened here, Josh. Like, I don't know what it was or who it was or if it was anything, but you've really been incredibly, incredibly lucky here. You've really been given a second chance. And I wrote a little message in the book that said, I don't know who it was or what it was, but somebody or something's kept you alive. You've been given a second chance. It's your job to go out there and do something about it. And yeah, so that that was on reflection. It's I've got to say it's probably the best night of my life, which seems seems weird. But what I mean by that is that without that night, nothing would be possible. With what I'm doing at the moment, and that was the real turning point in my life. Josh, thanks for going through the the story there. Yeah, like just as I'm listening to it. it it's unbelievable, you know, the uh, the fact that you survived hitting that wall at that speed and walking away from it. Did you ever think that there was, you know, a higher power looking after you or there was somebody looking out for you that it wasn't meant to be your time? Any thoughts like that, I'd imagine, have come up? Yeah, no, definitely. I think what I took from that was, and it's something that I think a lot about at the moment, is that it did give me this... It did give me this confidence actually in myself. It was like, and I'm supposed we'll get onto this in a bit later, but like the way I feel in the moment, but it's kind of made me feel a bit superhuman, which has helped me so much. Yeah. Back even way further back, Josh, was was depression something that you had growing up? Was uh, it always there? You know, what was your early years like? What were the years prior to this event happening like? I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So. What's interesting about this is, so at the end of 2014, in December of that year, me and my girlfriend broke up. And we'd been together for about seven or eight years. So it was like from from the age of 15 to 22, pretty much. It was like, it was a life-changing event. It was, that was that was a big trigger for the, for the depression. And I would have told you just after that, in the period, those six months after that happened, leading up to the car crash, I would have always told you that before that, I had a great life, and that uh, that was the only reason I was feeling the way I was. But now that I've done so much work on myself and reflected back, I realised that that depression and that low self-esteem and that that those darker feelings that I've had I had in that period, they were probably always there. But that that was just the trigger of it. So at at the time. So just before the breakup, I was I was running my own business in Edinburgh. 
which was it was very new, it was exciting. We were doing well. I'd, I'd won an award for entre- young entrepreneur of the year in Scotland. I had amazing friends. I always had this girlfriend. I was a huge part of her family. So I was like every day I was in Edinburgh running this business that I absolutely loved and was kind of going up a huge upward trajectory. I was I had an amazing social life. I was always in the pub and just I had a brilliant life, right? But I think what I've actually realised now is that my life was so busy and full of stuff. I never actually knew how I felt. I never actually knew because I was like literally from waking up to going to bed every single day. I was out and about doing stuff. I was like running my business or out in the pub or with my girlfriend or drinking or do you know what I mean? There's just so much stuff in my life. But then when that when that happened, it was also difficult to deal with. But what it done was it gave me so much time alone as well. And it was like all these feelings that probably were there all along actually started to rise, rise to the surface. And what was interesting as well is that I actually managed to find out from somebody who I'd known most of my life that actually like from the from the ages of like seventeen or eighteen up until this period when I was twenty two. I'd actually told them most times I was drunk that I wanted to kill myself. And I have no memory of that at all. I can I cannot consciously remember those periods leading up to that that event that I used to think like that, which is which is, to me is fascinating. So I think that there's probably always been some sort of issues there. I think growing up I was kinda of like a quite a quite a happy kid on the surface, but I think there was always something underneath that. And yeah, it's it's just been fascinating to kinda of explore that. Oh yeah, no, that's interesting, and I guess what I pick up on there, Josh, is the fact that you said you know you were so busy all the time doing stuff that maybe that was one of the mechanisms or approaches you had to to block out that um that darker side or the 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 voice in the head telling you things aren't great, um, and maybe as you said when you were drunk or whatever it might have might have come up. You talked about doing work on yourself. Maybe you could, uh, I suppose I do a lot of coaching with people and it's kind of forward-looking, not so much backward-looking. Maybe you could talk a bit about the work that you've done on yourself and explain a little bit about that. Yeah, that's that's a great question. So pretty much since that period, all I've done in life is working myself. It's become, I became obsessed by it. And just for some context, preceding that, I would love to say that at that point in the story that like I left the hospital and just thought this is it I'm going to turn my life around straight away, but it never actually happened like that. It took me it took me about three months, so I kind of I went back to doing my old life. And so at this time I was I was drinking a lot. I was in the pub anytime I could be, kind of like Thursday to Sunday most weeks. That was my way dealing with it. I didn't I didn't train. I wasn't exercising. My diet was terrible. I wasn't I wasn't doing anything proactive for my health. But then. Three months later, in the September of 2015, I was having a conversation with my business mentor and I said to him on the phone, do you know what, Alan, if only me and my girlfriend had never broke up, I'd be happy. And he said to me, what other excuses have you got, Josh? And that, to me, see on reflection, that moment might actually be bigger than the car crash itself because that was the moment where like that comment just shocked me to my core. It really just it done something to me internally. Something just woke up. It was like it was like this kind of sleeping giant was now dormant. It was dormant. It was just woken up. And I was like, wow. I was like, I realized I was I was a victim. I was blaming other people. I was blaming other events. Like at that time, like I was also drunk a lot growing up in Scotland. I used to say some things like, oh, I've only never lived in Scotland. There wasn't such a big drinking culture. I wouldn't be able to drink. 
I was I was a guy who blamed everybody but himself and had no responsibility for his life. And at that time, I decided to myself, Do you know what? I'm going to make a I'm going to make a commitment commitment to myself. I'm going to take 100% responsibility for my life. And that was the moment where life started to change. This is where the bit of the story for me always gets quite exciting. So I decided, right, I'm now in control of my life. What am I going to do? I knew that I didn't like my life. I wasn't I wasn't fulfilled in the work that I was doing at the time. I didn't like the way I felt. I didn't like my body. I didn't like my health. So I was like, what the hell can I change? What the hell can I do? And I'd done what I'd done. This might be a thing that's already out there, but I, I just created this little thing to, in my life, which I called a life audit. And basically all I'd done was I sat down and thought, what are all the areas in my life that I can change and control? So the biggest one was, well, alcohol. That's probably a big problem. So I thought, well, I could stop drinking alcohol. That was one thing. I thought, well, what about my body? Okay, well, I can start exercising. I can start eating healthily. I thought, what about people? Well, all my friends are friends who I drink with. So I thought, maybe I'll try and find some new friends for this period of time to get around get around people who are a bit healthier and can help me go to this next level. I thought, well, what? how am I spending my time? Well, when I come home from work at night, I'm sitting watching TV for five hours. What if I took that time and started to read books or do stuff a bit more proactive? What am I doing for a job? Is that actually what I really want to do? All these things, but that's just a, a list of some of them. And I just started changing all these things. And that's what I said. That this, I started doing all this work on myself. Just started to change my lifestyle, my behavior, my actions. I was having some good results straight away. And that, that led me on to the, coming up with this idea called the Tartan Explorer. So the, the original idea that I had which is a crazy idea. I had an idea that I was going to go around the world in a, a morph suit. Do you know what a morph suit is? There is one that's a Scottish one. It's got a huge big Scottish flag across it. And I thought, I'm going to go around the world in that as a Tartan Explorer and going to do this big crazy campaign to promote Scotland. That was the idea that I had. I thought, I was, I was really, I was high in life. I had this second chance. I thought, I'm going to do something crazy. And, and so at, at the time, I was running my own business. I'd just won the award. Things were going well with the business in terms of the trajectory we were on, we had, we, had, we had potential. And I was thinking, I was out running one night and I was thinking to myself, right, why am I doing this? Like, how, it wasn't so much for myself. It was like, how do I explain this to other people that I'm giving up this business to go around the world in a bloody morph suit? And I thought, well, I was in a car crash. I survived, got a second chance. And I thought, well, wait a minute. It wasn't just a car crash. You see, at this time, most people thought that it was an accidental car crash the only people who knew i meant it were a, a handful of people like family and a couple close friends i just told i just told everybody that i just fell asleep at the wheel and that's that was another life-changing moment where i was like wait a minute this part and explorer thing is not about going around the world in the morph promoting scotland it's about telling my story in a car that night and doing this big challenge to do something in mental health and to try and inspire people who've been where I've been. That was it. So again, that was another life-changing moment. So that was the new idea for it. And then about a month later, I launched it all online. It went viral. I was on, I was done a lot of media stuff, and it was exciting. And then I went along to hear Sir Chris Hoy, one of the most famous Olympians from Great Britain, won a lot of gold medals in cycling. So he was talking at an event in Edinburgh, and I thought, I'm going to go along and hear it. He was, he's one of the ambassadors for Scotland's biggest mental health charity. And I remember thinking, I'm going to go along, get a word with Sir Chris, get him to support what I'm doing. It was, it was, it was very ambitious. But that day, so listening to Sir Chris, I'd never heard his story before. I knew who he was. 
And I was just so inspired by what he'd done in cycling. He was speaking a lot. His talk that day was titled The Mindset of a Champion. And he was speaking about all these techniques he was using, especially visualisation. And it's stuff that I was reading and learning about at the time. And I was just, I just seen so many kind of parallels between us and the way he was using things to have success and what I was doing for my own health. I remember just sitting in the audience that day and thought, fuck it, I'm going to cycle around the world. That was where the idea came from. And so at this point, I was still really overweight, unfit, still pretty depressed, at times suicidal, and importantly, had never cycled a bike since I was like a kid. But I thought, I'm going to cycle around the world. Ah, yeah, that kind of makes sense, all right. <laughs> because if, if there's one thing about me that's been pretty constant throughout my whole life, is that I think it's probably one of my greatest strengths or talents is that I have a crazy high ambition. I've, it's something from, from my earliest memories of life, I've always just aimed as high as I possibly could. So if it was like, it was never like I'm going to cycle across Scotland or cycle lands into John Groats. It was like, what's the biggest cycle you could do? I thought, well, I want to cycle around the world. That was it. But at this time, I, I had nothing on paper to suggest that I could even do it. What I did have was. I had the biggest desire within me to change my life. I was so committed and so hungry to do something that would change the way I felt because I had a point where I was just sick of feeling the way I was feeling and I knew I had to do something big. If I continued doing what I was doing in Scotland and living that life, I was going to end up attempting suicide again, probably. And what was interesting was that when I left, so on the 26th of May, 2016, that's when I left Scotland on the bike, attempting to cycle around the world. I had a secret pact with myself that nobody knew about except me, that if this cycle never worked and never helped me feel better, I was going to end my life. I was going to attempt suicide again. So, so it was really, it was the last throw of the dice for me and I was going to give it my absolute all. I was going to give it everything. I've always been very all or nothing. When I'm doing something, I'm going to give it everything. If I'm not doing it, I'm not going to do it at all. So getting on the bike that day, I literally packed my bags, had a wee bike, and as I said, never cycled. Was still really overweight, unfit, and yeah, I, I cycled out my front drive in the town of Livingston, Scotland. Just, I didn't even know what. It's funny now. I, I love talking about this because it just makes me so romantic thinking back to that period. But I literally, when I left my front drive that day, I didn't even know where I was going. All I knew was I was heading south. Like, oh, I knew. Like, I had no plan. When I say no plan, I mean it. There was no plan. I knew that I was heading south. And that meant, like, how can I get to the bottom of England and then get over to Europe? And then I, I thought, well, I'll see where I go from there. It was, it was, oh, it was thinking back to it. It's, it's actually, it's hilarious. It makes me laugh so much. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, a couple of things just come up there, Josh. So, I guess one, so, you know, this show is about 1% better, trying to provide some tips and insights to people. The, the mentor you had, how straightforward they were I, I see that as a massive benefit to you in that maybe your friends that you're hanging around with you couldn't maybe get that straightforwardness from them but having somebody like the the mentor who was very able to give it to you like it was tell it to you very straight is is very valuable so it's something i think people should always seek out look for that mentor or that coach or that objective view for sure uh, lots of value there the second piece i had is just as you talked through the the planning of the the journey of the cycle did anyone try to actually tell you don't do this or what the hell are you on about no i think i think that i think one of the things about me is that i think people people around me people close to me know that 
when I've got something in my mind, I'm going to do it, and there's there's no stopping me. So I think most people probably thought, this is crazy, this is mental. Like, what are you doing, Josh? But I'm just the kind of guy, I'm so driven. When I get something, I just oh, I just go for it. And yeah, I don't think, nobody really tried to talk me out of it because it was, they knew that I wasn't going to listen anyway. Yeah, so hindsight is probably twenty twenty, right? So when you decided to do it, it was very public. You said, I'm doing this no matter what. I've checked your blogs and I was reading about the journey and, you know, there was a couple of stops and starts during it. At what point did you say, I can't continue this? And was there an element or more than an element in you to say, I have to do it because I've been so public about it. I'm very interested to see, you know, the emotions that were at play there, you know, when you finally decided to stop and the stuff that went on during it. Yeah. So to answer that question, I'll give some context. So about a year after I'd started cycling, I'd cycled 10,000 miles. I was in my 14th country. I was in the south of France and I had my Forrest Gump moment what it was like yeah it was the forest for him he's not seen the film forest gump he's running across america and thinks i'm going to go home now and that that happened to me and so at this point there's a lot of stuff happened in between here right but from starting to that point a year later i was now incredibly happy and healthy i was in the greatest physical condition in my life i was cycling 50 60 70 miles a day very comfortably i was just I was just, it was incredible transformation from where I've been when I started to where I was now. And what sort of happened as well, accidentally, was that when I started, when I started cycling, right, it's funny when I say this to people, they don't, some people don't get it as well, is that I was, at the time, I was trying to cycle around the world, but what I was doing had nothing to do with cycling. And it was really just my journey to happiness. The bike, the bike was the vehicle for, for that journey. It was never about the cycling. So one of the things that I was doing when I was away, I was I was reading a lot. Like I became obsessed by happiness and personal development and self help. And so like I was cycling during the day, and then at night when I was in my tent, I was just reading books. Uh, so in the last couple of years, I've read about sixty books, and all about happiness and personal development, and all these types of topics. And by accident, I stumbled on a huge passion for this subject. And so when I, when I started, I was never the type of person who was interested in happiness or personal development. I was just doing it out of necessity. I was, I was trying to survive. I was just trying to keep my head above water. And I was, I was reading these books because I, I needed something that was going to help me change. But then over time, as I started to implement all the things that I was learning from these books, I was starting to feel incredibly happy, healthy. And I started to develop this huge passion for this subject. And it was like, it got to the point where, the cycling was becoming easy. I, I knew how to get up every day and cycle my miles. And it was like, I just became so passionate about the subject. And I was like, well, what's the point of me being on this bike every day when I could like be back home and I could be like public speaking and I could be like making videos and I could be like doing workshops and seminars and just like teaching this stuff to other people. It became like the biggest thing I was passionate about. So I thought, you know what? I'm ready to go home. As I said, for me, it was never about cycling around the world. It was always about changing how I felt and turning my life around. So I was quite happy where at that point saying, you know what, the cycle's over, I'm coming home. I, I could have, out of spite, just kept on going and done it just to say I'd done it. But it would have just, that would have just been pure ego. There would have been no, just to say I'd done it. I, I'm, I, had no, I had no problem saying that, you know what, this challenge technically failed. Because for me, like if you look at that challenge, my challenge was to cycle around the world. I never cycled around the world. So objectively on paper, that is, that is a failure. But 
for me as an individual taking on that challenge, when I started that, I was depressed, overweight, unfit, one in ten my life. And then at the end of it, I was happy, healthy, in great physical condition, an amazing zest for life, and a passionate subject I wanted to teach to other people. How could that ever be a failure? It was it was the greatest success in my life. And so yeah, I always knew it was it was time to go home and yeah no that totally makes sense josh like yeah definitely i suppose from the outside looking in you could say oh the old me might have thought that was a failure that wasn't what i had put out and planned to do but the new me the learning that you've gone through the growth and the development says no it's actually okay to quote-unquote fail here but i haven't failed i've been successful i've done a hell of a lot of miles but it's not about the miles it's about me josh learning growing and and developing so so look man that you know fair play to you for doing it and pushing through as much as you could and and then having the the wherewithal to say yeah that's that's enough i can put some of this to better use and and uh, it sounds like that's what you're doing so i guess that was march april last year what have you been up to since you got back and since you got back into normal life if there is such a thing yeah well this this is where it gets quite interesting so coming home so i was in i was in pisa when i finished up in italy and i flew back from pisa and i was so excited i was just to be back in scotland was brilliant just feeling the way i was feeling i was high in life i had this idea for this sort of foundation that i wanted to create i'm going to take everything i learned and teach it to other people and the first couple of weeks back were were really good. I was just getting incredible amounts of pleasure and joy from simple things like eating food on a plate and having my clothes in a wardrobe and, you know, just running water because I pretty much lived in a tent for a year eating a staple diet of three French baguettes and six bananas. So all those kind of little home comforts were nice at first. But two things happened that were a problem. So the first thing was probably readjusting to society after spending a year traveling was probably the biggest thing the biggest challenge when you go and do something like that some sort of long-term travel and you live that weird sort of nomadic lifestyle it's really hard to go back into inverted commas the real world it's really difficult because you've been having this experience for one year so my life for one year was i wake up i cycle 50 miles in a place that i've never seen before passing through amazing scenery, going through the fjords in Norway and the Mediterranean Europe and, and being hosted by European families and meeting new people and reading all these books and just having an incredible life-changing experience. So then you go from that back to like a normal life where you live in one place, you eat your breakfast at the same place every day and you, you start to have to do more mundane things like emails and you know what, you know, the, just the day-to-day, it's a bit less attractive then. So that that was that was a challenge and it was almost like, it was almost like nobody knew what I knew, if that makes sense. So it was like, this this thing meant the world to me, this 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 year that I had away. And back home, it was like, life was just still the same. It's like, I'd changed so much, but nothing else had really. So that, that was a huge challenge. And then the second thing that happened was that I just went a little bit fast. So the idea I had for work, the work that I was doing, I just done too much too early and just hit, hit burnout. And then it was like, I didn't really know what I was doing with myself. And then I'd done another cycling challenge in the UK, trying to cycle the length of the UK. And I fell off the bike and hit my head and had a really bad concussion. And from that period, everything was sorted downhill. It was I really struggled to get back on my feet after that. 
and and the thing that was sort of the, the main challenge after coming home from the cycle was was purpose or a lack of I really struggled with what to do with myself after that cycle because it it just changed me in so many ways and just because I knew that was that there was that other world out there that other way of living that I could go out and live in a tent and cycle and just it could only cost me like five euros a day when I was like back home and I was having to earn like maybe like five or ten times that just to survive and it was like it was crazy and I was so I always had this bit of me that was like I need to go back to that world I was really torn between what to do and and basically the from from that period sort of May last year up until Christmas time I was generally just struggling with purpose like I, I, I came up with a million ideas for things that I was going to do in my life I think when I came over the cycle I was very much clear on do you know what purpose in life is to is to keep helping people and keep sharing my journey and doing all that type, type of work but then I had a period where I also kind of fell away from that as well and as I said, when I started the cycle, I kind of moved away from alcohol and wasn't drinking that much. And when I came home, I started drinking again, started having a social life. And it was hard to, I felt like it was hard to do both at the same time. And I ended up kind of officially ending the Tartan Explorer and stopping all that work just to do that. And then I felt like I was getting back to where I was almost in 2015. I was going down that dark that dark path where alcohol can lead us if it's destructive. And, and in September of that year, I was like, last year, I was like, no, you know what? I've spent two years building this Tartan Explorer thing. I'm not just going to walk away from it to go back to an old life that I know doesn't actually help me in any way. I then started doing some more cycling challenges again. I thought I'm going to be based in Edinburgh, but I'll do some challenges still on the bike. But then I went and done the Camino de Santiago at the end of last year, which is hard to put any words, the Camino de Santiago, but it's a, it's a 500 mile religious pilgrimage through northern northern Spain. And as I said, I've done a lot of challenges in the last couple of years, but nothing comes close to that in the sense of when I was doing those other challenges, I was just like on normal roads and it's not like an official thing when I'm cycling through Norway. It's not an official trek or a route, but the Camino, the Camino is different because it's, it's an official route, it's an official path. And the important distinction is that over the years, millions of people have walked that path and everybody's always united by this thing about getting to Santiago and the spiritual and religious significance of that and so what that does is it's almost like there's an energy in the Camino that I've never felt anywhere else before because all those collective souls that have been there over the years can you leave that energy there and I think the one thing that unites everybody in the Camino is that I met people there from all walks of life different nationalities different genders but we're all sort of united by two things that the first thing is that we're all walking towards Santiago and trying to get to the cathedral but we're also all searching for something as well. I, I, there was not, not, I don't think there was anybody I met, and I met so many people out there who weren't looking for an answer to something, whether that was trying to find their way in the world, a sense of purpose, or, or they maybe lost somebody and they were trying to deal with that, or they were just, yeah, they were just, everybody was searching for something, some sort of meaning. And that collective energy and that, that bond that I shared with those people that I met was, was life-changing. I think what I realised as I came towards the end of the Camino was that like my purpose in life really is to keep sharing this journey and to keep helping people because I, for one, I'm so passionate about it and I love it. And it just, everything that happened these past few years as I arrived in Santiago just made sense. Like everything became clear and I realized that well, if I never went through that depression, if I never attempted suicide, if I never had all that pain, I would never have this passion for this subject and I would never be able to do what I do now. And it just felt like everything had happened 
like it was meant to happen. And yeah, I was just, I'm just, I was so grateful as I finished that one that I was grateful that everything had happened the way it had, and that it now allowed me to to spend my life helping other people who've been where I'd been. But it definitely, just sounds like that you're at your most happiest when you are on a journey, when you're moving. The cycling brought a lot of that out. The walking, the Camino, seems to. When you're talking through it, I can detect palpably the the joy and satisfaction and alignment with meaning and purpose that you get from that and then on the flip side i guess when you do get back into the routine maybe the surroundings maybe just the environment brings up bad memories whatever it is you can slide back or slip back into those bad habits that we are all absolutely guilty of doing from from time to time so it's good that that awareness is there and you know where to be and what to be doing when uh, when it brings you the most joy i guess now that you are back and you're looking forward are there things on the horizon that you're planning that uh, will take you back into that into that space of of uh, meaning purpose and continually help you grow and develop and yeah so so the big challenge for me which is my my main sort of goals in 2018 is that as I said, the last few years have been pretty crazy. We've been on the road and traveling so much. And the one thing that I've never, I've done a lot of things these last few years, but the one thing that I've still never proved to myself is that I can actually be at home and be happy and healthy over a consistent, a lot longer period of time. I've never, it's the one thing that I've still not done yet. So that's that's what I'm doing this year. I'm back home, I'm in Edinburgh, and really I've, I've given myself six months where I'm not allowed to, because last year there was times where I was like I was I was at home and I was away and I was just packing my things and running away in the bike again. And this year I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that at all. At least for six months anyway. It's six months back home in Edinburgh because I know that I can just like, I'm doing it at the moment. I'm I'm so happy and healthy at the moment because what I've learned is that whether I'm happy and healthy or not is down to me. It's always down to me. And I've I've got great awareness in the things that help me and the things that don't. For me, there's I've got these things that I call my big five, which is sobriety, not drinking, exercise, my diet, meditation, and staying offline, not consuming media and news and TV. See, when I just hit those five things every day, I'm always in a great chance to feel good. And when you add that into the mix with having an amazing purpose and having a meaningful, having a meaningful life in the sense that every day I'm out doing things that I've got tremendous purpose, like I'm public speaking or I'm writing or I'm creating video content to help people online. Having those things just means that life is great. So I know I can be happy and healthy consistently. I just have to do it. That's the thing. So at the moment, that is really the focus. And I've kind of pinpointed two very clear goals this year, which are, the two goals are very interrelated. The first goal is my own health and happiness. And the second goal is other people's health and happiness. That's it. It's very simple. And in order for me to help other people become happier and healthier, I have to be happy and healthy. And yeah, so having that sense of purpose drives everything. And it's, yeah, it's exciting. It's really exciting. I'm just, I'm loving being home. I was never somebody who grew up dreaming of traveling. I, I traveled out of pain. I was just, I was looking for something. And I've always been very driven, career orientated. And so to now be back in Edinburgh with a career that not only I love, but also impact other people it's yeah i couldn't have written any better than than it is at the moment i'm I'm living my almost my dream life which is yeah i'm so grateful for everything no i really like the clarity of your goals Uh, sometimes i'm guilty of probably making way too many goals but having just two health and happiness for yourself and then health and happiness for others is simple 
and a very effective it definitely seems to for me just listening to it makes makes lots of sense and resonate you're talking about your habits and some of the things you kind of have to do each day there i I'm, i'm similar you talked about booze and not having that in your life for 2018 i've given up alcohol so dry 18 is well underway feeling better for it that can certainly help with clarity and focus and you mentioned the habits there as well what i found it's just similar to yours over the last number of months i've found that for me to have a a good positive productive day i need to get a couple of things done first thing in the morning i generally get up uh, six o'clock or or earlier and do 20 minute meditation and then after breakfast or after a coffee try to write for for 25 35 minutes and if possible if there's time at all to do a bit of exercise if i can get two of those three things done every morning before i actually leave the house and get to to do my day job i feel like i've accomplished something for the day and it sets me off in a a good positive direction so parallels there it's just what works for me i think uh, it's something i will keep as a habit going forward because it just makes the rest of the day a bit smoother mentioned meditation and is that something you practice yourself if so is there any particular types of practice that you have developed i'm so big on meditation rob out of all the things i do for my own health and personal development if i get to take them all away and i was only allowed to do one thing i wouldn't even think about it meditation for me is the it's to me it's everything like it really is everything like i'm just so big in it i know the power of it it's I hate the word cure, but meditation almost like, cured my anxiety. Like it, I used to get really bad anxiety in the past, and now don't. And yeah, I just think it's so so important because it's almost trying to train people to do the thing that's probably the hardest in the world, which is to do nothing. Most people struggle to just do nothing, and meditation is essentially the art of learning how to do nothing and to just to watch the thoughts and observe them and try not to become them. So yeah, I'm, I'm massively big on meditation and. I'm pretty hardcore with it as well. I'm doing it like maybe five or six times a day just because I just, as I said, my my biggest primary goal this year is my own health. And I know that meditation is right up there in the list of things I should be doing. So I just, I just, I make it a priority. So it's like every morning when I first wake up, I go around then I come back and meditate again. And then little periods throughout the day. I find it as a, as a great little reset. Like, if I'm like, for example, the way I kind of structure my day is that like in the first period of the morning, it's like my creative time, like between sort of nine and 12, 10 and 12, don't look at email, I don't check anything, it's just for writing mainly, because I'm working on a few writing projects at the moment. Then so like, when you finish that, it can be a bit intense when you're writing for a couple of hours. But then when you get to the lunchtime, it's like, just do a wee meditation then, it just kind of resets you and gets you sort of focused and back in the zone to then think, go again, and then at the end of that second part of the day it's like like do another one then before dinner and then yeah i just i just try to do it at little intervals through the day i think it yeah i'm such i'm so into meditation yeah you and me both uh, definitely big proponent of it over the last few years uh you mentioned about anxiety and how it's helped you it's absolutely done the same for me i think the more i do it obviously the the better it's getting and the, the more i look back and realize jesus i was not in a great meditative state in the past or in a mental state in some cases but it's uh it's all all good i just actually released an article in the last few days around meditation triggers and what i've actually found after trying trial and error lots of different things is the the common hand dryer that you might use in a men's room or in a in a toilet uh, no matter where you are they're typically there and 
I've found that the blast of air that those give off kind of just triggers me into calming down for a few minutes, just taking a few deep breaths and kind of just getting the head, I suppose getting out of my head in some ways and getting more into my body just connected. And it's just those sort of things. There's so many of them out there, right? There's there's tons. There's the traffic lights going red. There's look all around you. There's those triggers and yeah, I think they're they're um, certainly good to keep aware and keep your eyes open for them. Another thing I would say on that is like, so I say when I say I do it five or six times a day, that's like formal sit down medications. But I'm also medicating a lot throughout the day. So for example, when I'm waiting at traffic lights, it's like, yeah, waiting at traffic lights or standing in a queue or waiting for a call to start. There's all those just little moments throughout the day. Can you just stop? Try and observe maybe your thoughts or focus on the breathing. Yeah, I think it's important. If you can build it in around stuff as well, it's really important. How does sleep fit into your schedule, your regime, Josh? I like to ask the question of sleep. Uh, obviously, something we all try to do and get a certain amount of every night. And for me, uh, definitely need to get a, a good eight hours, seven hours if possible. Do you notice it having an impact on your mood? And I'd love to hear about your own sleep patterns. Yeah, I'm I'm sleeping really well at the moment, which is which is surprising me in a positive way because there's been times in the past where one of the challenges with doing something that you love and you're so passionate about is that you're genuinely so excited about it. Sometimes sometimes you can struggle to sleep. Like when it, at night time, you're just you've got all these ideas and everything's racing through your mind, and you're like just it's just so exciting but then some days you don't sleep because of it but i'm getting quite good at getting into a habit something that i'm doing at the moment is as i said that period last year where i hit burnout and that's because i was I was working like every minute every day and there was no time for me in it so one of the things that i'm doing at the moment is i'm trying to have a bit more balance which doesn't feel normal for me because i've never really been balanced but so my, my days are very intense because of what i do i'm either speaking or writing or or making videos or talking about stuff to do with my own story or mental health so it's, it can be quite intense what i'm trying to do is that at five o'clock every night like that's a cutoff period and after five i don't do anything i don't look at any emails i don't do anything work related and what i do is i go to you know, a member of the Times gym in edinburgh and i've usually done my training in the morning all i do when i go to the gym at night is i go down into the jacuzzi in the sauna in the steam room and i just chill in there and read and just read books so for that that's helped me massively this year because from like 6 p.m onwards i'm really just in sort of relax mode i'm reading i'm not on my phone i'm not watching tv and then by the time i get back home maybe at about half nine ten i'm just feeling so relaxed and chilled after like being in the saunas and steam rooms that I'm, I'm just really ready for sleep so that's helped me massively and i think that something i always recommend to other people is that try and try and put the phone down before bed like at least an hour before because if you're on that phone all the time and you just you're on social media you're on facebook you're on youtube and then you just try to go to sleep straight after it your mind's still like going crazy most of the time so i think try to find something maybe if you're going to bed at 10 like try and find something at nine o'clock that's a bit better like maybe find like a book like a maybe something a bit more light-hearted like a, like a novel or some sort of fiction something that's just going to try and actually slow the mind down a little bit before bed that i think that helps massively you just touched on novels and books there it's a question i always like to ask as well do you have any books that you've read over the last while i think you mentioned you read maybe 60 books uh, on your on your travels or on, on, on a year um anyone's come to mind jump out i always like to ask this question put a couple of book recommendations on the show notes on the website afterwards 
Puck him to. Yeah, so there's, there's loads. The, the the book that probably had the book the book that probably had the biggest impact on my life, probably two actually was first of all The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, which is the story of a young shepherd who leaves home searching for treasure, which as you've just heard my story, it's pretty much me and it's pretty much all of us. That had an amazing impact in my life and that was inspired by the author Walking the Camino to Santiago. So that was to me that was quite surreal doing that, knowing that that's where the book came from. Um, the Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. That is a great, great book. That's very, very easy to read. It's just all about happiness, essentially, and how to be happier. It's a really good book. There's one that's very simple, which is the book I usually recommend to most people as a place to get started. There's a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. That is a good, fantastic book because I think one of the problems most people have is they have this little voice in their head that's always negative and tell them they can't do things or can't do that. And they really just check changes the way you actually speak to yourself through your thoughts that's a great book yeah there's there's just there's just so many to be honest but i think that yeah for me reading's been a massive part of my my transformation these last few years it's something i prioritize massively i've got a goal this year to read 52 books i wanted to read a book a week i've done pretty well the last few years done about 60 but this year i'm I'm actually putting it into my goals list as well because i just i just know how important it is i think something that i've learned through reading is that we in life sometimes think that our problems are completely unique and they're not they're really not like our the only thing that's unique is our stories our stories are completely unique but our problems are not like all the problems that we have somebody else has been through them and came through it and usually they've written a book about it as well so whether it's like low self-esteem or a relationship problem or your health like there's so much knowledge out there i think that you have to make reading a priority it's just so important excellent some really good recommendations there that i'll put onto the the book page for sure one of the last questions i do like to ask all my guests or nearly all is advice is the topic of advice is there any advice that you've been given that sticks with you or is there any advice you potentially like to give that uh, you'd like to share Greatest piece of advice that I ever received was my mentor, the same guy who told me to give up the excuses. He said to me, one of the first times we ever spoke, he said, Josh, you can have, do, or be anything you want in life. That had an enormous impact on me. Just to have this, it almost sort of left me, this whole superhuman thing that I talk a lot about at the moment, I almost felt that was one of the starting places where I started to have this feeling, sort of, I feel superhuman, that like I could just do anything in life. Like I think that there's nothing out there that's worth it out of reach for anybody I don't think I think that see if you have something that you want more than anything in the world you will find a way to get it you will find a way to get it and I think that one of my favorite quotes about life is that it doesn't take any more effort to dream a big dream than it does to dream a small dream if you have something you want to do just aim as high as you can because there's the only thing really stopping you is your, yourself and the limits that you place in you so that that for me has been an amazing piece of advice that I got well, Josh, look, that's a great way to end the episode and a great way to end the conversation. Sounds like you're in a great place. Sounds like you've really figured out an awful lot over the last few years of your journey. And it's been great to hear it. It's great that you were able to come on and share that with my listeners. Josh, how can people get in touch with you, follow you on the socials, really get a good and better understanding of who and what Josh Quigley is all about? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'm just Josh Quigley on social media now. So that's the best place to get me. Website's down at the moment, so I'm doing a rebrand. So if you just 
any social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just Josh Quigley1992, and you can follow some of my journey. Some of the exciting things coming up is we're in the process of making a new online show all around happiness, health and well-being. So that's going to be quite exciting. So if there's any interest in following that, you can just check it out on my social media sites. Great stuff, Josh. Thanks for sharing that. I will put it on the show notes and when it goes out, I'm sure people will be in touch. We will leave it there. I hope you have a, a brilliant rest of day and thanks so much again. Have a good one. Yeah, thank you, Rob. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for that. Best of luck, Josh. Cheers. How was that? Do you enjoy it? I hope so. If you did, please like, share and do all that other good stuff that only takes a second on social media but means an awful lot to me as it spreads the reach. You can get the details from the show in the show notes on the website robofthegreen.ie. In there you can share the show out with others i really just want to touch on three other quick things one feedback i learned so much from it without it i can't improve please give me a bit of feedback positive negative constructive would you recommend a book do you have any other ideas for guests how about more video let me know what you want and i can make it happen i will try that's number one number two sharing is caring this year i'm making more of an effort to try and expand the reach facebook there's a page and there's a group the one percent better community on facebook is where i really hope new listeners go to share ideas comments in general things that they could help others with that's what it's there for follow me on spreaker.com that's the new host i'm on twitter growing not exponentially at all but slowly so please follow there i'm on instagram all of these are at rob of the green linkedin rob o'donoghue get in touch would love to hear from you number three is about support so i'm offering a few hours a month pro bono free coaching to those that can't afford it that need some coaching that want some coaching if you go to the website the support page click on the pro bono link on the flip side of that where you guys can support me go to patreon.com the rob of the green page you can make a donation there you can get access to exclusive content which i'm adding all the time that would be awesome anything you contribute will go back into the show to make it better make it more than one percent better also there's the option to buy one of those books that were recommended through the website which will bring you to Amazon, which will get you the normal links, which will get you the books at the normal price. But supposedly, Amazon will give the show a small donation every time a book is purchased or anything for that matter, which is great. So finally, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. I know it's difficult to make improvements, to push things forward, to get outside your comfort zone. I'm trying to do it all the time. I hope that every listen and every show and every guest that is on gives you something to take away that you could apply, adopt and adapt into your own life to create a new habit, to make something better. Don't overreach. Small improvements. 1% is enough. And thank yourself for making the time to listen to the show. It shows you're interested in learning, improving and getting better, even if it's just 1% at a time. Have a great day and good luck.